Suncast is brought to you by SunGrow, providing clean power for all. Suncast is also brought to you by Trina Solar. Hey there, Solar Warriors. I'm Nico Johnson, and this is Suncast. Each week, I pull back the veil on the life and business insights of clean tech entrepreneurs building the most noble and impactful companies of our time. I hope what you learn from this conversation is a catalyst for your own growth. So thanks for tuning in and welcome to our tribe. Hey, welcome back, Solar Warrior. We're in the second full week in the full swing of things in 2021. I hope that your week is rocking. I hope your, your year is rocking. Thank you so much for lending me your ears. And the only non-renewable resource that you've got, that's your time. I don't want to squander it. Hey, and if you're new here, thank you for giving us a chance to earn your attention. I hope we'll see you around more often. And I hope that you tuned in on Tuesday to the fantastic episode with Paula Glover. I want to make a quick editorial note and correction. Paula is no longer at the American Association of Blacks in Energy, where she spent 12 fruitful and long years she has now moved to the Alliance to Save Energy as of Monday. And I I wish I'd known that because I certainly would have incorporated that into the episode and made it sound like I was paying attention. Uh, But nonetheless, Paula, we wish you all the best. I know that you're going to do fantastic things at the Alliance to Save Energy. We'll have to have Paula back to talk about that move. But today's entrepreneur is a friend of mine who also spoke at our career summit back in September. He's a young man with an unbelievable track record of success. Matt Hankey is the co-founder and CEO of New Energy Equity. Huge thanks to the team over at New Energy Equity, including Bridget and Josh Kunkel for helping pull everything together, not just for our summit, but also for this follow-up interview with Matt. And if you've ever thought to yourself, wonder how that guy pulled all this together. Matt can stand in in some ways for a lot of that guy or that girls as a heuristic. This entrepreneur really genuinely has pulled himself up from the proverbial bootstraps and learned from his mentors, learned the mistakes that he saw in the market and applied them. And today you are going to learn from those lessons. Don't go anywhere. If you like what you are hearing, be sure that you're subscribed to the show. Just click that subscribe button in whatever application you use to listen to podcasts. Many of you are on Spotify. I use Pocket Casts. Of course, over half of the podcast world is on Apple. Just click on that subscribe button so you'll get notified every time our twice weekly content drops. Of course, you can also check out more than 350 additional founder stories and startup advice at mysuncast.com. And hey, a special thanks for you who have spent time on that website. And in particular, if you've clicked through those links to become a member or work with Nico, I'm now accepting applications for a few coaching spots that I've opened up to get folks through the beginning of a new year and a solid plan for your 2021. If that's you, I'd encourage you fill out the app and let's have a clarity call. See if there's a fit for now. Get ready to tune up your skills, Solar Warrior as we tune in to another powerful conversation here on Suncast. All right, Warriors, as I said there, we have Matt Hankey on the show. Matt, 
founded and has grown one of the most exciting companies in uh, community solar and uh, sort of CNI and small utility solar in the United States, a company called New Energy Equity out of the D.C. area based in Maryland. And they bring sophisticated operational and project finance capabilities to commercial and small utility projects in a way that few have been able to do. Today, we're going to talk about how Matt supports and develops a really talented team, 30 plus and growing at New Energy Equity, why he decided to go off into entrepreneurship after a career in uh, finance and an early career developing for other well-known companies like Standard Solar. But first, let me welcome my friend, Matt to the show. Matt, welcome to Suncast. Hey, Nico. Thanks for having me, man. Excited to be here. Man, the excitement is all mine. I don't get a chance to appreciate in all its glory your six, seven frame <laughs> over, over video. So uh, I'm glad that we are at least able to see each other. I want to thank you once again, because you gave a contribution that for me is indelible on some of the work that we've created this year. Uh, and those who haven't watched it or weren't participating in our Suncast Career Summit, I really would encourage you to go back and check out an episode that I did with Matt and another friend, Mike Healy, on equity and inclusion and the importance of that. So I just want to thank you once again for being involved in Suncast and the ways that you have and for your support. Also for the contribution you've made to our industry as a very young entrepreneur. You don't need to respond. I just wanted to say thank you. <laughs> I appreciate it. No, I, I, I will respond. Thanks, thanks to, to you, Nico, and Suncast for for um, you know, creating a platform on diversity, inclusion, and uh, and equity within the industry, it's something that we need to talk about more. It's something that even a few months after uh, after the podcast or after after the session uh, that we continue to talk about. So that's that's the important piece. Let's keep that conversation going. Yeah, and I hope that we'll continue to talk about it even more. You know, we're doing a lot of work at Suncast to help folks figure out find their path. What's the pathway for them to transition into the renewable energy business? It's something that you've got experience with. And I know that we'll talk about that uh, post haste. Matt, if someone looks at new energy equity, they may say, gosh, this guy's got a, uh, you know, he's touched, got the Midas touch. He falls up and he's had quite a ride, but you weren't even always in the clean energy business. So can you tell me about your first exposure to solar energy and how you decided that was the direction you were going to take in your career? And, you know, what prompted you to make that jump? I started off my career. I graduated from Ohio State University um, with a with a degree in finance, and I, I took what I think is a dream job for every uh, every college graduate the finance degree, which was I headed into uh, investment banking. I did uh, mergers and acquisitions and corporate finance for a Baltimore based investment bank, M and T Bank is is the name of the company, and I did that for about three and a half years and really enjoyed myself and and you know, I, I I call it consulting on steroids. I was working uh, working 80 to 90 hour weeks, which was exhausting. But the experience that I was getting directly sitting in with entrepreneurs, owners, CEOs of businesses who were um, trying to either raise capital or monetize the value of their business, you know, sitting with them at two o'clock or three o'clock in the morning, you know, finishing up with a beer after after an eight hour diligence session, you know, trying to you know, unpack their business and, and make it digestible for, for, for other folks um, who are looking to invest in it. And then marketing that company and negotiating those transactions, it just gave me a lot of skills that have really helped me in all stages and facets of my career. Um, and so that was, that was fantastic. But, you know, uh, all good things come to an end. And after about three and a half years, uh, I had worked a 90-hour uh, week. I was exhausted. I decided to go out to the bar and, uh, and hang out with a good volleyball friend of mine. His name was AJ Mengel. Uh, AJ actually worked for Standard Solar for some time 
after I joined the company. And he brought a friend of his out, Mike Sloan. Uh, Mike Sloan uh, runs a company, SGC Renewables, here in the area as well, that he, he founded um, before New Energy Equity was, was started. And I think we were probably about five or six beers deep when Mike said, uh, I need a finance guy. Uh, would love to have a finance guy join my team. And uh, after, after a little bit of back and forth and, and uh, probably a few too many beers, I, th- I think I agreed. I also had to just text him in the morning and make sure that that was the case because it, it was a little bit fuzzy. Um, but about two weeks later, uh, you know, entered into the solar industry. Uh, I knew nothing about the solar industry. I knew that um, it, it seemed like a great way to um, uh, make a difference. It seemed like a great way at the time to you know, make a little bit of money uh, while making a difference. Was really able to cut my teeth in a, in a great organization at Standard Solar, which has fostered a lot of tremendous contributions to the industry as well as a lot of entrepreneurs. Indeed, we've had Tony on the show. Yeah, Tony Clifford, for those who want to go back and figure out uh, more about Standard, you can hear that story uh, in the Tony Clifford episode. I need to get Mike on the show, man. I've known Mike since for ages. I was quoting Lumetta solar panels to Mike back in 2009, (laughs) man. He was was an OG at Standard. We were looking at projects in Puerto Rico. We could probably go on and on. In fact, your story reminds me a lot. Uh, Do you know Rory Huntley at Ecoplexus? No, don't. No, very similar story to yours. He was working for a local uh, boutique investment banking firm that was helping package entrepreneurs for sale, right? Helping them figure it out. And it's remarkable the transferable skills that abound if you unpack that, right? If you unpack what you had to learn about how business works, about how to get deals done. I'd love to, and we'll probably do this in a little bit. I'd love to hear a bit more about the things that you've identified not just in your own transition, but others who transition into the industry. Because I think that's important. A lot of folks that are listening to this are thinking for themselves, like, what skills do I have? What skills do I need to develop? I laugh with you now because you've had such success. But if, if I look at your LinkedIn resume, it looks like many of the rest of us on the solar coaster, right? Under two years at your first two jobs in the solar industry. You went on to Urban Grid, who are doing phenomenal things now as well, like that company I would say almost destined to, for success in, in some ways, just because the placement and the way our market has grown. But you decided to jump ship again from even from Urban Grid and, and start your own thing. Can you put me in that place in 2013? You were just a kid, man, 26, 27 years old. 27 years old. Yep. 27 years old when we started the company. And I think the success we've had at New Energy Equity is, is completely attributable to the to the personnel decisions that we've made and the contributions that our employees have, have made to the company. But, but as you talk about kind of right time, right place. So, you know, the final company that I sold when I was at M&T was a satellite telecommunications company. Um, so they uh, deployed uh, forward base satellite systems for uh, special forces and all of the, all of the people who you don't want to run into in a, in a dark alley. Right. They were doing this overseas, Afghanistan, Iraq, Djibouti. Uh, we sold them to L3 Communications, which is a, which is a publicly traded company. And I, I, I retained a relationship with, with the two owners, two of the three owners, as well as the CEO of the company. And um, at the closing dinner of all places, we were at a steakhouse in Annapolis, Maryland. They pulled me aside and they said, hey, Matt, uh, we like to invest in, in, in young folks. If you ever have an idea, we want you to come approach us and give us a shot at, at trying to work with you. So uh, I headed into the solar industry, uh, not knowing what I would find. I had a great stint at Standard, and just uh, the commute was terrible. Uh, going from Annapolis to Rockville is about you know, 55 minutes on a good day and about an hour and a half on a bad day each way. So uh, got tired of that and, and joined the Urban Grid team. And then you know, about two years into the Urban Grid team, I just um, I actually had a conversation with one of the smartest people I know, who is, uh, who is my wife. 
she said, you know, Matt, you're, you're just never going to be happy until you start your own thing. And uh, that was the moment the next day I called Dan, Don, and Ian, who were uh, the former owners of, uh, of 3DI. And I said, hey, guys, I'd love to start something and would love to see if you guys would back it. They were all in. Uh, it, was, it, it was great. Uh, they, they, they jumped in, all three of them, both feet. Um, and uh, actually, um, Ian and I operationally ran the company for many, many years. So um, it, was a, it was a great transition from, from a relationship that I had built early in the career. And you know, ultimately, it, it, it also mimics a bit some of the approaches we've taken here at NEE, which is you know, bringing some folks that are outside the industry into the industry. And so you know, Dan, Dan and Don couldn't spell solar, but they thought that it was a you know, great idea, great space to be in, and they jumped two feet in, uh, gave us a chance, and, and uh, you know, we're, we're, we're thrilled you know, here that they did that. That's something that I've always appreciated and admired about the position that you as a leader take is this idea, let's go get fresh blood. I was fresh blood coming into the industry. I took a different thought process about it. I'm not steeped in the solar culture. A bit of a rabble rouser in that sense, right? Like I'm going to do things my way. Uh, yeah, here are all the other things that have shown me what to do, what not to do. But what was the underlying business proposition that you pitched to Dan and Ian? They didn't know anything about solar. Tell me how you got them to come on board. Other than the fact they wanted to back bank you, what'd you tell them you were going to do with their money? Yeah, it was Dan, Don, and Ian. So uh, uh, Dan, Don, and Ian. Yeah, the approach that I that I took with them is is at the time seven eight years ago, we had an extremely fragmented industry that didn't have a tremendous amount of sophistication. And so, you know, going back to the example of how investment banking helped me, you know, when you're packaging up an entire company, an entire story, you know, complex operations, a ton of employees. Yeah, that, that's the ultimate level of complexity in terms of, uh, in terms of you know, selling something, right? There's, there's not too much more that gets complex beyond selling a company. When you look at what we do in the solar industry, every time you start or develop a project, and let's just take one project, you're just starting a small company. It's a super, super simple company. You're going to pay to start that company. You're lucky enough not to have any employees, right, that you have to, that you have to wor- worry about. And you're going to have an asset that sits on the ground or on a roof or in a parking lot. And it's going to be producing electricity, selling electricity, and you're going to have revenues, expenses, and profit. And if you distill it down to its simplest facts, that's what it looks like. And so, you know, I took my experience and I pitched it to them as we can, you know, we can streamline this approach uh, within smaller projects. So the smallest project we've ever done, and I'm, I'm, I'm ashamed to admit it a little bit, uh, and to be clear, we won't do it anymore. <laughs> but the smallest project we did was 40 kilowatts. When we first when we first got the company started, we did a uh, we did a portfolio of 15 40 kilowatt projects in Minnesota under the Maiden Minnesota Incentive Program, and that was with uh, Jamie Burrell um, at at IPS in Minnesota. What a terrible idea at the time in terms of slogging through that many sites, but but what a great idea in that we were actually able to do that, and we were able to turn a majority of those customers that we did those projects with into subscribers for what is now, you know, probably one of the larger, if not the largest community solar portfolios in Minnesota. So we were working with school districts and municipalities and nonprofits and commercial entities. And many of those folks have, have, have subscribed with us as well. And uh, they've made the, you know, uh, 150 megawatts that we've done in Minnesota. They've made all that possible. Yeah, I mean, you guys have gained a 40% market share in Minnesota alone in community solar. But did you see community solar and, and markets like Minnesota and Indiana, uh, Illinois, excuse me, uh, as market opportunities? Is that part of what you pitched in that initial business proposition? Or was it just, 
I know how to do this in a simpler, faster way. Like what was the nugget, the core defensible business proposition? It was a combination of both. So it was a combination of, of getting out through to the rest of the country, which is not something that I had done before. It was a streamlined internal resources and reviews. You talk in the industry a lot about trying to make everything look like the next thing, right? In terms of documents and and installations. And there's been a lot of companies that have have done that in a great way. You look at folks like Strata Solar. Strata was, was the king of doing square projects in North Carolina, right? So, I mean, that, that was their thing. If, if, if it wasn't square, it, w- it wasn't going to happen. While doing that, also being creative when possible, doing things like um, you know, trying to look at shadow credit ratings, uh, trying to take a portfolio approach to credit. So it was a, it was a streamlined, straightforward, repeatable approach, uh, which was not something that was happening in commercial solar um, at the time. Uh, it was uh, driving the cost of capital down because at that point in time, uh, investors would love this. You know, folks were investing at 12, 13, 14% unlevered after tax IRRs, which was fantastic. So that was easy, easy place to, to grab some gains and bring that down through access to significant amounts of low cost capital and long term ownership capital. That was the thought process. So reduce the friction and bring some. Yeah, bring some sophistication to what was at that time not a sophisticated industry. Did your startup capital? Did you bring that on as operating capital, development capital? How how do you how did you think about that? Did you bring your own money in? Yeah, so um, I, I did not have to invest any money into the company. Um, I, uh, I I I bled, I sweat, I cried, and and put all of that into the company. Um, so th- so they did two fo- two things for us. Um, so they, they did give us operational capital so that we could you know, build a team and, and, and start the right way. Uh, the right way was also a profitable way, uh, which I'll talk about here in a second. Uh, and then they also gave us access to their own personal tax equity and access to guarantees for debt in order to you know, actually finance projects. And so when we started the company, we were actually thinking that we would be, you know, we would do $20 million of projects a year. We would actually own everything. Um, and, and that was the premise. That was the premise that we would you know, put everything that we developed on balance sheet. We just quickly realized that demand for that was much greater. And so we had to go outside of those three guys uh, to find additional capital to come in and, and, and help us finance projects, which was you know, a lot of the time that we spent in the first, uh, first year or two. The key, and, and I think that some businesses uh, can do this, some businesses have gotten away from this. The key to me of starting a company is, is, to, is to try and always be profitable. So, you know, starting in year one, we actually started, I think, in December of 2013. And that was the only year that we lost money as a company. From that point forward, we've, we've, we've made money every single year. You know, we've expanded the company significantly since then. And that was our approach the entire time. This is not a hobby uh, for us. This is something that we do to help change the world, um, but also, you know, put dinner on the table and pay for mortgages. Of, I think we're, you know, we've been growing pretty rapidly through COVID. I think we're up to close to 40 employees now. That was the, the guiding direction for us and, and something that Dan, Don, Ian, and I always agreed to um, was, was the fact that we were going to you know, drive this thing to, to be a profitable enterprise and not lead with revenue, but lead with profit instead. Did you go in on your negotiations with the three gentlemen you've mentioned, knowing ahead of time that you wanted to structure their personal tax equity and get those debt guarantees as a component of it? Is that something that you had learned through Standard and Urban Grid that you needed as a component? So, so we, we, we did. I wouldn't say that we necessarily went in uh, firm on how we wanted to uh, raise the debt. We were certainly hoping to build a reputation quick enough to where we didn't need guarantees on debt. And we, we did eventually get there. But ultimately, that was, that was a big part of, of what we wanted to do. I was a young 27-year-old with, 
without two pennies to rub together. And uh, I was able to team with three guys who had been there, done that multiple times, had a successful exit of a company, even multiple companies, I believe. They'd lived it, right? They'd lived starting a business the right way and exiting a business the right way. And um, uh, so being able to tap into their knowledge, being able to tap into how they look at situations and problems, as well as being able to tap into, um, I think I, I think Dan at one point in time called us his sugar daddy, uh, call, called himself our sugar daddy at some point in time, but, but he, being able to tap into those financial resources, because otherwise, if, if, if you're consistently trying to you know, grow your company, but looking over your shoulder as to, as to where operational capital is going to come from or project capital is going to come from, it's really going to hinder growth and not allow you to you know, hit, hit the metrics that we did over seven years. So those guys were, those guys were instrumental in terms of, you know, uh, you and I chatted before the call. We were joking about how my, my voice is not one for radio. From that point, that point, you said you thought yours wasn't either, but then somebody gave you a random compliment that says that, hey, you sound great on radio. Uh, and, and it gave you confidence, right? And, and, and that's, what, that's what gave me confidence was, was these guys, you know, backing behind me and there every step of the way to make sure that the company didn't fail while also having the financial backing in order to do that. So it gave us confidence to go out to the market, gave us confidence to figure out how to, how to do it, but it also gave us confidence to do it the right way. You know, it's easy to look at the, the accolades and superlatives, number six on developers list for 2018, top 500 solar, solar power world installers. And look at 450 million plus in capital, 300 megawatts plus, 150 projects. But everything, like they say, a journey of a thousand miles starts with the first step. Tell me about that first project. So when we first started the company, it was it was quite the frustrating process. I would say probably for the first eight months. Um, I, I went into it at 27 years old, uh, probably a little bit too confident, thinking that folks would pick up our phone calls and would want to work with us, and it would be easy, right? There's solar projects everywhere. This is going to be easy. After about six months of nobody picking up the phone call, <laughs> not, not, not winning projects, really being frustrated with how, how slow the going was, I get to give credit to Ian Palmer, uh, who was one of, one of my co-founders, who had an awesome idea and uh, I would say is, is also lucky uh, that the idea worked at the same time. So Ian, uh, so this is when Georgia Power had announced their program. This is the GPASI, one megawatt, where they actually bought the electricity from the project. Ian had the idea to take all of our resources and put them into one press release. So we sent out a press release and we said, New Energy Equity has $20 million of capital available for GPASI projects and we're actively searching in the market. We got a phone call two days later from First Wind. First Wind said, we see that you guys are active in the market. We see that you guys are looking to spend a bunch of money. We have a project that, that fell out of our larger portfolio. It's in Macon County, Georgia. We'd like to talk to you about selling it. They, they called Ian. Ian took the phone call. Ian's like, absolutely. We're happy to put for, forth an offer um, and, and hung up the phone and I think uh, might have run through the wall uh, to tell <laughs> me uh, what, what exactly had happened. <laughs> so I think about four days, four, you know, we had nothing else to work on. So we probably seem like the most uh, responsive uh, financial buyer in the entire world. So we had an LOI signed in like a week and a half. We had the transaction closed in like three weeks. <laughs> oh my uh, God. A little bit of luck and a little bit of insight. For those who just don't understand how this all works, like it's easy to say, okay, First Wind came to you. But first of all, maybe put context around who First Wind is briefly. But what did it mean to take 20 million and put it to work on this GPSI program from a mechanical perspective? Like were these 
projects that already like were guaranteed to get at, get revenues from Georgia and First Wind just couldn't build it? It was actually just one project. It was a one megawatt project. And at that point in time, it was probably around $3 million. So we didn't even spend $20 million. So First Wind was, I, I think, absorbed by Sun Edison. I think that that was the, the transaction that happened. And uh, what had happened was they did a large financing of a bunch of these projects. And this one lagged behind due to some um, uh, development activities that weren't as, as, as clear, or as clean as they could have been. So it, it lagged behind the rest of the portfolio. Somebody like First Wind can't just take one project and finance it. There's, there's no efficiency there. So when, when, when it's stranded. So when one project falls out of 20, they have to look at a place to put it. We were, we were in the right place, the right time with the right press release and snagged the project up and, 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 and paid for it. So um, yeah, there was some cleanup that needed to happen. You know, it hadn't been fully developed in terms of you know, final interconnection and final site lease. We had to travel to Georgia a couple times on this tiny little project uh, to meet with a landowner, a gentleman named Isaac Yoder. Isaac was fantastic. Isaac wouldn't sign the lease with me until I had a piece of pie with him at the. I love it, man. Uh, as a southerner, I totally get that. <laughs> as a, a, a piece of pie at the local. Uh, local restaurant there. So um, it, it was great. It was, a, it was a great first project for us. It got, off, got us off the ground, allowed us to be profitable uh, that year with, it, with a few other projects we actually did with IPS. That was that, four, that 40 kilowatt portfolio that I was telling you about. So that allowed us to, to really get off the ground. And then, and then now when we called people, we can say, yeah, we just closed the deal. Were you able to tell people, yeah, we did a deal with First Wind? I don't know if I did or not. <laughs> Probably. I'm, I'm sure that we did. So Right. It's like, yeah. I mean, it's like uh, when you've spun out of a company like GE, yeah. you're going to say, well, yeah, we're all, a, you know, we just spun out of GE. That's right. That's right. Yeah. No, I, I'm sure we did. I'm, I'm, I'm sure we did at some point in time. That's amazing. Amazing. Whether, whether you were allowed <laughs> to or not. That's right. Um, <laughs> what a fantastic story, man. I don't get these kinds of stories every day. So I'm really grateful to hear kind of how the beginnings, how this all works. And that's what we're doing. And in essence, we're teaching folks just through your experience and then this startup story, how this industry works. And, and there are things that some folks are going to have to go back and replay this episode just to wrap their head around what you and I take for granted that we understood about that conversation. So apologize if there was too much jargon, but Matt just gave a more than a 101 on how solar project development works for those that are able to unpack it. Hey, I wanted to check in really quick. This is the last time before Wednesday's Clean Energy for America inaugural ball. If you're not familiar, let me just tell you, there is an all-star cast and lineup. I've been working tirelessly for the last couple of weeks with my friend Andrew Lukey, Jigger Shaw, Lynn Abramson, and so many other dedicated volunteers from the Clean Energy for Biden crew to pull this inaugural ball together as a celebration of what we have to look forward to in the new Biden-Harris administration. Go check it out at cleanenergyforbiden.com forward slash B-A-L-L, cleanenergyforbiden.com forward slash ball. Get your ticket. It's well worth the time. I think it's a hundred bucks. We're going to kick things off at seven o'clock. We're going to have a full red carpet for 90 minutes where I'll be there. Stephen Lacey, Jigger Shaw, Catherine Hamilton, Julia and Brandon from Poly Climate. We're going to have some literal superstars showing up as well. We've got Akon confirmed. We've got Train, J-Lo, Cool from Cool and the Gang, Paul Stanley from KISS, 
the lineup just keeps growing and blowing my mind. This is the opportunity. I know it's been a while since you've had a chance to network. I want to see you. If you're interested in my top five tips on how to network, going to share that. If you're interested in hearing these great acts and listening to leader Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi and Governor Grantham, the inbound energy secretary, if you're interested in some of these luminaries being in your life for one night, go check out the inaugural ball. You don't want to miss it. Cleanenergyforbiden.com forward slash ball. And I will see you Wednesday, the 20th. It's truly a networking and platform experience like you haven't experienced yet. Way more than a Zoom. Don't miss out. Matt, tell me something that's true for you that very few people agree with you on. I actually think the best talent comes from outside the industry. So something something that we talked about um, earlier and, and, and why that's controversial. Two reasons. Number one, I just think a diverse set of perspectives is, is incredibly valuable to a company. The other thing, which is the controversial piece, is I think that it's extremely hard to find solar industry-specific participants who have a really great track record and a manageable cost in terms of salary expectations. There's a ton of employees in the solar industry who are, who are awesome, don't get me wrong, and they're, they're worth every dollar that you spend on them, but, but they're also expensive. And that's yeah, mostly driven by supply and demand, right? There's only, there's only so many folks who have been doing this for five, six, seven, eight years who understand the industry. And what I've really seen is you can take somebody who's been in construction or engineering or real estate development, even satellite telecommunications. We, hi- we hired somebody from satellite telecommunications, uh, Lindsay Gillis on our team. You can take folks from other industries, bring them in, and it only takes them six or, eight, six or nine months to pick up everything. Yeah, we're, we're, we're putting steel and aluminum in the ground. We're putting solar panels on top of it, and we're producing electricity. That, that, I mean, that's a super, super distilled version of, of, of what we do. It's much more complex than that, but it's not that much more complex than that. You know, what you just said, I think, is there's two sides to this coin. I fully agree with you, and we've talked at length about this, and I think it's one of the core underlying reasons why your uh, diversity, inclusion, equity angle sort of lens for your business is so important because I believe that right now diversity in our industry looks like a lot of non-net new hires, right? It's, I just grabbed this person of color or this female from another solar company and I'm going to willing to pay them more. And that's a lot of, I'm willing to pay them more. So they'll leave and they'll, they'll jump around. That's by the way, why we see a lot of folks, as I alluded to earlier, with less than two years at a company, because by the time you get past that eight, eight month mark, you know what's going on. When you get to 18 months, you've got 10 months of like hyper growth learning if you're in a real, if you're in a real company doing a real job, meaning like in a leadership role or, or in a development expansion role. Now you're worth a lot of money. Unfortunately, it also, which is the other side of the coin, means that our industry only hires when they need to. And therefore they need that person in a time frame less than six months from now. There's just not enough planning in our business right now. And so people are willing to pay for that six month gap to be closed by someone who already has the expertise. And I think it's really nearsighted and it it shows that our industry still has a lot of maturing to do from a a personnel development perspective. So I'm encouraged to see companies like yours that are willing to invest in that six to eight month gap of time where somebody can execute on their core skills while not really understanding how they're contributing to the overall business. Well, well, and, and to, you know, remain controversial, right? What, what's, What's the thing that I look at on a resume first, like you said, right? I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to scroll down 
and I'm gonna, I'm going to see how much time they've spent at the last three or four companies that they've been at, and and yeah, you know, if they're you know if they're at an early point in their career and they already have three or four companies on their resume with an average of of eighteen months apiece, and I was that guy there, right? So I mean, I, I you know uh, it, it 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 just I, I think it creates a little bit of a red flag as to all right, well, what's that person going to do in eighteen months? So I think it goes both both ways. I completely agree with you that that employers need to invest more upfront, and 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 we try and do that too. So I mean, part of it in a in a fast growing company has to be reactive, right? Because you want to remain you retain profitability and you want to you want to grow it at, at a good pace. But you know, the other part of it is you do want to try and get out uh, ahead of things, and 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 specifically within our engineering construction group, we've we've started you know internship programs and uh, pulling people out of school. Yes, those people are going to take twelve. You know, nine, 12 months to get up to speed versus hiring somebody in the industry, but it's, it, it, it creates loyalty. It, it, uh, you know, we, we, we love the contribution that all of those folks are making at the company. And so from that perspective, that, that's one of the things that I look at on a resume is if somebody's bounced the last four times within 18 months, I have to imagine that's, that's probably going to happen again, right? I think in the solar industry, and it's easy to say as, a, as an owner and a CEO of a, of a, of a solar company, Loyalty can both go both ways, right? Um, and that's something that we work really hard at at New Energy Equity is to pay people really well, give them uh, development and other opportunities to move themselves forward uh, within the organization. You know, treat them really well, treat them like family, and treat them with loyalty. Uh, and and we just expect the same in return. And and man, we've been we've been so lucky. Uh, we've been so lucky with the with the people that we have and the culture that we've built to where we don't miss a beat in a in a, in a culture killer time like COVID, um, where, where, you know, COVID and people from work, working from home is, is killing the culture and companies all over the country. I think it's had a minimal, if, if any impact on, uh, on new energy equity. So, so that loyalty both ways is something that I encourage folks to look at, especially earlier on in their careers, create that loyalty with your, with, with, with your employer. And, and you'll be amazed as the things, you know, if, if they're a good organization that they'll let you do. Perhaps this is with regard to the solar industry, but I'll let you take it broadly if you want to. As you look around uh, at mentors and people who have Im- impacted your life, uh, even if they're peers and you've never had a direct you know, interaction with them, who would you consider a success story? You know, someone who's done well that you feel is emblematic of what you might think of as success. So my first job was at Standard Solar and uh, Tony Clifford. Uh, was was my mentor as he has played that role with hundreds of people in the industry. He did a fantastic job of of showing me the reins of the solar industry, and I'll never forget. So one of my first tasks was to uh, go out and try and build a market in New Mexico. Uh, we had sold a project in New Mexico, and so uh, t- Tony had helped with that original sale. Um, and so I went on the road with Tony for six days in New Mexico, driving throughout the country through the mountains. Um, eating barbecue, staying in small towns. And he just had a clear, incredible message um, that he was able to give these people on how to change the world, how to do it in a, in a way that saves them money um, and is financially beneficial for them. And he was just such an inspiring, expiring figure. Uh, you know, we would drive around, <clears throat> we're working at this point in time, 12 or 13 hour days. He'd come out uh, for the final meeting of the day and he'd just be exuberant as he was for the first meeting of the day. And that's the type of energy that is, that is infectious in, in the solar industry and really got, me, really got me excited. Second one's a little bit easier for me, and it's on the personal side. I've been extremely lucky to have a number of mentors in a number of industries. 
going all the way back to investment banking as I, as I headed into the solar industry, some of my partners here at New Energy Equity. But it all actually started with my dad. A little known fact that most people don't know because I don't publicize, my dad actually spent his career in the oil and gas industry. So he uh, was with Amoco and then British Petroleum. And um, uh, after those two merged uh, on a fateful summer uh, when we were on vacation in Ocean City, Maryland, and we got pulled off of vacation for the merger. His ethic, moral compass, everything that he was about was extremely inspiring. Um, and then probably the most important piece was his advice to stay out of the oil and gas industry. So you have a guy <laughs> who you know, made his career um, in the oil and gas industry telling his son who had an offer from Shell to go work for them out of college. Yeah, don't take that offer. That was inspiring to me. Obviously, drove a lot of the decisions. I, I didn't go work in the solar industry right away. I actually went to work for the investment bank. But, but ultimately, you know, his, like I said, his drive, his work ethic, um, the hours that he spent, his moral compass, um, all those things are extremely important in driving and growing a business. Is there a particular moment where you knew instinctually new energy equity is going to work? Like this is working, baby. The moment for me was probably about three years in. We had doubled the business for the third straight year. At one point in time, I was kind of like, why do we have phones and why do we have phone numbers? Because people don't call us, we only call them. But we started to get phone calls um, from folks looking to place jobs with new energy equity. So the former, um, former owners of the company, so we, we sold the company to a private equity fund, Smart Pitch, who's um, uh, run by Gautam Chandra and Sanjeev Mahan. Bo both were former uh, WGL Energy executives. So we sold the company in May of last year. But prior to that, uh, and we still do a ton of fun stuff, but we used to take one board trip a year uh, to somewhere warm to get out of the cold. And so in, in, in January, we would tend to you know, go to Florida or, or, or somewhere of the like, you know, stay in a hotel with the former guys and have a great time. And we were giving the board presentation to Dan and Don, who know nothing about the solar industry, are not paying attention daily to operations, but they're getting you know, weekly or monthly updates. They both, at the end of the presentation, I think might have clapped. And I think the exact line that, that I think it was uh, Don might have said was, wow, um, this is far beyond our expectations of what this could have been. And that was the moment sitting there in Florida that I said to myself, okay, I think we're going to make it. I, 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 think, I think that we're finally winning here. I would imagine that you have folks that come to you often for advice. Is there any distillation of the advice you probably tend to, to dole out for entrepreneurs who are in the throes of startup life? So I've gotten lucky enough here um, in the last uh, year to be introduced to an organization called uh, YPO. It's a young president's organization. It's a, um, it's a group of, uh, of, of CEOs, entrepreneurs, um, leaders of companies, um, and there's a specific company size and specific company employee count that you need to you need to hit in order to be involved in the organization. And so it's actually been great because it's allowed me to distill down advice for folks. Whereas um, you know, before I you know, felt like I was always running really fast and, and uh, uh, some, sometimes a little bit out of control and then you would rein it in just in time in order to make it work. So, so, so the quote that I live by uh, is the harder, harder you work, the luckier you get. That is the quote that I, I live by. That's by Gary Player, a famous golfer. It's really been the guiding light for me. And so in addition to that, not taking for granted, you know, doing the right thing, no matter what, and trying to make every partnership that you have a win for both parties. So these are the things that I've focused on. If you work hard, you do the right thing, you treat people right and, and try and make sure that everybody, not just yourself, has success. 
um, it goes a, it goes a tremendous way. And um, yeah, listen, you need to be the, the the right place, right time. You need to have a little bit of a factor of luck. Be a terrible time to uh, to start up a hotel right now, right, or an airline right now. Uh, so there's 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 a, there's a little bit of uh, of luck that's needed uh, as well. But th- those are the t- core tenets that I live by um, uh, every day, and 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 that's how that's how I make my decisions as to what I'm going to do um, in certain situations and and what decisions we're going to make as a company. Matt, you've accomplished a ton, but the nature of solar is that markets are constantly evolving, opening, closing. You started your first project in Georgia. You slated in Minnesota. You've been really active in Illinois. Beyond just what new markets, and that's not really a question I want to dig into, uh, what new evolution exists for a company that's seven years old and has done and has grown a ton? Uh, you've recently you know, sold the company, as you mentioned, to, uh, or at least the majority stake to smart pitch. What's in store for you? What do you believe is the next big problem uh, to solve in the industry? And how are you guys positioned, positioned or positioning to attack it? Listen, I think there's been many evolutions uh, in the industry. And, and I've only been in this thing for, I think, 11 years at this point. And if I were to go back and look every single year, uh, I, I have the same thoughts every January, which are, man, I can't believe how much this has changed. And holy shit, how am I going to do that again? So, um, <laughs> so those are the common thoughts I have every single January. You have to be progressive. You have to look at ways that you can grow into new markets, that you can do um, new technologies. So we're looking at storage. We're looking at CHP again after, after a, a, just a terrible run-in with it uh, about six years ago on a project that took forever. We're looking at new technologies, we're looking at markets, but I think the key for us is to keep the way we do business and our culture the same as we're going into these, into these new places, new technologies. And I mentioned there to you earlier, you know, building on partnerships, making sure that you have success. So, so New Energy Equities, you know, 40 people at this point in time, will probably do close to $150 million in transactional value this year. And we do that through great partnerships. Um, in order to do $150 million in transactions from development to construction uh, to ownership, you need more than 40 employees. So we rely on local partnerships um, and national partnerships in order to you know, solve complex problems and, and, and find success. And that's how we're able to do that. And, and, and having that low burn and only having you know, now 40 employees, last year 30 employees, having that low burn allows us to be flexible. And, and go dip our toe in a Minnesota market where we then found success. Uh, go dip our toe in the Illinois market and then you know, where we went and found success. Go dip our toe in New York where we found success. So um, yeah, I think you need to be progressive. You need to look to the future. You need to look to new ideas. But you also, there's, there's core tenets of business and, 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 and things that I think make companies successful that you want to keep as part of your DNA no matter where you go and no matter what you look at in terms of transactions. Matt, I believe that readers are leaders and leaders are readers. And I personally have experienced how books are so influential in the way I think, the way I help my clients think. I wonder, are there any books that for you have made a, an indelible impact and uh, that you therefore recommend to others to read? I'm not a huge reader. That's the funny, that's the funny part. So I, I, I guess I, uh, I, guess I um, debunk, your, uh, debunk your myth of uh, readers or leaders, um, honestly, and, and, and I'll tell you this story and then we'll move on to the next one. So I, want, I wanted to be a lawyer or a finance guy in college. And I went finance because I don't like to read. <laughs> so I get it. Yeah. Do you, well, 
But not not liking to read doesn't mean that you don't consume content. So where do you get, where do you consume your information? How do you feed your brain? I feed my, my brain through uh, industry publications. Um, you know, there's, a, there's a number of really great law firms out there that I like to follow and, and, and spend time, time learning about. Um, you know, we, we have a, a profound respect for um, uh, Aiken Gump, uh, Norton Rose, um, you know, folks like that in the industry that are, that are you know, publishing some creative things on the financing side, which, which I just get a kick out of. That, that's the way my brain works, and that's, that's, the, way that I, that's, that's the way that I spend time. Um, and then there's other folks um, that are that are trying to put out you know, worthwhile content. Um, I, I love reading things that are that are new. Um, I love reading things that are a little bit controversial um, as well uh, within the industry. Where do you find that stuff? I mean, I, in in part, I'm looking for resources that we could recommend to folks that are also eager to think like you think. Honestly, I think one of the things that I do do well, and and one of the things that I enjoy doing is um, uh, I, I'm an in-person, um, most of the time, a Zoom conversation kind of person. So um, it's, it's unlikely that if we get into the throes of a negotiation, uh, that we're going to do so uh, via, via email. I'm going to pick up the phone and I'm going to call you, I'm going to Zoom you, and, and most of the time I'm going to get in person and, and, and meet with you. So, I mean, the, the way I honestly feed my brain is through, is through conversations uh, with folks who I, who I have a tremendous amount of respect for. There's a ton of folks within the industry and outside of the industry. If you can find like-minded people who are trying to do better for the world, you know, those conversations and what you can learn from those people who have been there, uh, even if they're in different industries doing different things, with, especially with different backgrounds, uh, is just tremendous brain food uh, in my mind. Uh, and, and that's what I feed off of. I, I try and have um, you know, four or five of those conversations, like an hour-long coffee conversation uh, every single week. Um, with folks. And, and it may be folks that I've talked with before. It may be folks that I talk with regularly. It might be folks of the company who, who I have a tremendous amount of respect for, but I'm trying to you know, get out and, and have those conversations uh, multiple times a week. Um, and, and that's really how I, how I feed um, uh, new ideas and, and, uh, uh, and, and information into my head. Are you intentionally scheduling those or are they serendipitous? They sort of inbound to you or a mix? How, do, how does that get scheduled? Both. Um, so, yeah, I try and, um, uh, you know, a couple things. It's, 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 I guess, somewhat funny. Um, uh, I've become a little bit of a creature of habit as I've gotten into my old age of 35. Uh, right. Uh, so I, I like to have breakfast and dinner with my family. So, you know, one of the things that um, has actually uh, for a moment frustrated one of our, one of our financial partners was, you know, I don't come on until eight o'clock and I go off at 530. And I have dinner with my family and then I'll come back online after that. But, but that, that dinner with my family from 530 to seven o'clock with bath time is, is, is sacred as long as I'm not traveling. I try and limit my number of meetings each week um, uh, in terms of uh, business meetings. I carve out a day each week to make progress. What does that mean? Is that like a maker time? That's oh, You don't have any meetings scheduled? I don't have any meetings on Tuesdays. So no, 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 no meeting Tuesdays is, uh, is, is, is the goal. So uh, uh, we also have a, a phrase here at, at New Energy Equity, which was brought in by uh, w- one of uh, one of the folks that I, I talk with all the time. Uh, no agenda, no attenda. So if we don't have an agenda for a meeting, we don't attend the meeting. A couple of other things that I do on a daily basis. So a, a, a new phenomenon for me is I make my bed um, uh, as, as as often as I can remember. Remember when I'm not when I'm r- not running out of the out of the house, and then and then tying it back to you know how do I schedule these meetings. I make a to-do list every single morning. So that's the first thing that I do when I sit down. It guides my day. Uh, and every Monday, 
I just, I, I take a second, step back and think about who would, who would be fun to have a conversation with. And I'm likely to schedule one or two of those uh, throughout the week. Uh, other than that, you're likely to get a text message from me or a phone call from me saying, yeah, hey, you want to catch up and talk? Yeah, these are folks, like I said, inside the industry and outside the industry who all have a diverse set of perspectives and backgrounds. And it, and it just helps you know, bounce off problems. It helps learn new things. It's just tremendous, tremendous way to learn in my mind. I love it. I didn't even have to ask the question about habit and you jump naturally right into it. I'm, I'm loving it and writing it all down because I think that how uh, you do anything is how you do everything. And so I really love to see how a leader like you thinks about structuring, organizing your day. I love that you set aside Tuesday as your maker day. Little known fact about me and you and I, despite being friends, you didn't know this about each other. Tuesday is also my maker day. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah, I went, I took the kids fishing yesterday morning and, uh, and nobody on my team asked me anything because I've spent the last three months with that on my calendar, right? Nobody's, nobody schedules meetings on my Tuesday and, uh, and nobody expects that I'm working on, on Tuesday morning. And so I'll, about 11 o'clock or 12 or something, I'll meander in and uh, I'll get a lot of, I'll get work done, right? I'll just focus deep work. So I think that there's just a ton of value to being able to say, this is unscheduled time where I'm going to focus on the things that I need to get done and early in the week so that you can feel good about the week. And I also love that you set aside time to plan the week out and think about the, the ser serendipitous conversations you want to manufacture, right? That's, that's really beautiful. Matt, how can folks learn more about you, more about New Energy Equity? Yeah, uh, I think we have like every social media platform now, thanks to Josh and Bridget at our team. Uh, so I do not send out the tweets. I do not know what tweets are. Um, we'll but, link them all. But you can, you can find us on, on, on Twitter, on LinkedIn. Uh, but most importantly, you can go to www.newenergyequity.com uh, where you can find contact information for the entire executive team. So we're, 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 we're here. Uh, we're excited to have, have the conversation. We're excited to work with folks in the industry. Uh, and, and please feel free to reach out if, uh, if, if, if it's a story that you want to learn more about, if you want to learn whether or not you'd be a good partner uh, or we'd be a good partner for you, uh, New Energy Equity, and, and we'd, be, we'd be excited to have the conversation. Uh, well, Matt, let's end today, as we always do, with what I call a bold prediction. What one thing do you see happening in the market that perhaps nobody else is tracking? What's in your crystal ball? So unfairly, Nico prepared me for this, uh, which, I, which I sincerely appreciate. And uh, I still like thought about it for like three weeks and I couldn't find anything until luckily I found something this morning. Uh, and, and that is just building on one of the things that has been a passion for me, as, as Nico knows from participation in their career summit, is, is diversity and inclusion within the industry. And it's something that New Energy Equity is spending a lot of time internally trying to correct uh, uh, with, within, uh, within the company and influence within, within the company, but also externally. Uh, broadcast to try and help other organizations. And, uh, and I think with, with as many people that are now talking about the message, including Nico, you getting out there, uh, Mike Healy joining me, uh, who's also another influential person in the industry, um, uh, what the company's doing here, what I see others doing. Uh, I think the percentage of minorities in the industry, uh, as well as the percentage of, of minorities within positions of power in the industry is going to double in the next three years. I think that you have folks I'm so charged up that we still have the conversation going and that that hasn't stopped. And that's what needed to happen in order to make that change. There's too many people behind this in the industry. Uh, and, and I think that that's going to be um, uh, a tremendous benefit to the industry when that happens. Yeah, it's so very true. And we're talking a lot about it here on, uh, on Suncast. For those who maybe aren't familiar, you can check out 
the Suncast Career Summit at events.mysuncast.com, uh, where Matt and Mike prominently featured as one of our keynotes on the topic uh, of how traditionally, you know, white male led companies are uh, having a reckoning and, and taking a hard look at how uh, they're changing the diversity filter within their company and how they're being very intentional uh, and very self-aware. Uh, and that's where it all starts. Uh, so again, I'll, you know, a head nod to you and Mike for the leadership, not just in the DC area, but in our industry for all the leadership that you've provided. Uh, and the humility uh, that comes with that, so that self-awareness. Thanks uh, to your team, as you've mentioned, Josh and Bridget on your team, who also helped make this possible. Another nod to uh, a mutual friend, a deep, close friend, uh, Jim Wood, who originally connected us uh, so many years ago to make this interview really possible um, and to build that tie that we all need, right? That know, like, and trust factor. Uh, of whether or not you'll be willing to jump on the phone with someone and get to know them. Uh, I would encourage you all take so much advice from this interview in this episode with Matt, go back and listen to it again, bookmark it. There's so much shared here that for me, it's already in the canon of top 10 Suncast episodes. I'm honored to have had the chance to interview you here today, Matt. And I look forward to sharing more of your team and your insight. Uh, and I'm grateful also for you contribute, contributing to our community solar series. Thank you for that as well. With that, we're going to sign off and say thank you, Matt. Thank you, New Energy Equity, and we'll see you all next time. Well, well, all right. If that doesn't inspire you and get you fired up with lots of tools and insight, then I don't know what is going to, Solar Warrior. So thank you for making it all the way to the end of today's episode. If you're eager to keep learning, then you, my fellow Philomath, can learn more. Look at resources and highlights from this and every other discussion by clicking on that show notes link at my Suncast. Com. You'll get social media links, book recommendations, insights, tips, goodies, links, articles, all that good stuff. Since you're already going to be online checking out the website, why don't you go ahead and share this episode? You can actually do it from the blog page, but I know you're going to be in LinkedIn. I see you in there, LinkedIn lurking, wanting to comment, liking a few articles. Go ahead and share the one that we've shared from the Suncast Pod page and tag Matt Hankey of New Energy Equity and Josh Kunkel of New Energy Equity and let those guys know how much their story is inspiring you. What did you learn from this episode and who do you think needs to hear about it? All right, next week, gosh, I hope you tune in for this one. Not only do we have the inaugural ball, but the very next day we drop one of my favorite interviews in a long time. The eponymous Andy Klump from Clean Energy Associates is back for the long awaited round two he still is the most downloaded episode of all time for this podcast and i get to dive this time deep into how andy's mind works why he is fueled to build the business that he has built you don't want to miss this one thanks once again to our wonderful sponsors and friends in the industry who keep helping make this content free for you you can learn more about them at mysuncast.com forward slash sponsor. And that's also how you can learn how to partner with us to reach thousands of solar warriors and clean tech champions twice a week, just like those sponsors have for the last five plus years. Well, remember, you are what you listen to. Thanks again for showing up, Solar Warrior. It's half the battle.